electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. Today, a best of 22 interview. Alex Karp, CEO of data analytics company Palantir on modern warfare. Software plus heroism can really slay the giant. The high stakes at play in the war in Ukraine. It's a zero-sum game in Russia, and there is no ability for Putin to lose. He can't just fail at war and then retire. Running a big data company specializing in anti-terrorism and defense work, CARP had a dark warning in the early months of war in Europe. When we talked, you asked me what I thought would happen. It looked like, oh, there goes bat crazy CARP again with some crazy prognostication that will never happen. What Alex CARP thinks about the possibility of nuclear war in a conflict that is still raging and what it's changed forever. Every country in the world that is big is saying, holy shit, we thought we could just win because we're big. If the people are willing to fight to die and if they have very specialized, not very costly software, they can outperform us and grind us into the dust. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It is Wednesday, December 28th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today on the podcast, Alex Karp, the CEO of Palantir, the data analytics company that is usually described as secretive on how the Russian invasion of sovereign Ukraine has changed modern warfare. Some background. Palantir is named after a magical orb in Lord of the Rings. But in its nearly 20-year history, before its direct listing as a public company, it hadn't made much known. Palantir received early funding from the venture arm of the CIA and provides software products designed to crunch numbers. One of these programs is called Gotham, and it's for government clients who need to organize and understand massive amounts of data. So surveillance, predictive policing, possibly rooting out potential terrorism threats. Palantir works with the U.S. Army, Navy, and Department of Homeland Security. 
Listed on the New York Stock Exchange since 2020, Palantir has moved beyond just government clients. More than half of its customers are in the private sector. Big-name businesses who use a software program called Foundry include Airbus, Merck, Ferrari, United Airlines. But its work for governments here and others around the world has stuck to Palantir's reputation. Earlier this year, Alex Karp visited Ukraine and met with President Volodymyr Zelensky to discuss how its technology could be used as the country hangs on during months of Russian assault. In spring 2022, Karp offered us this dark prediction. The longer this war goes on with the Ukraine, uh, the longer, the, the more chance, you know, it's like the larger chance you have for miscalculation. And so, and then again, I don't think we're quite as tracked on these things as most people believe. And the, the risk that, that communication breaks down, that something happens, that there's an escalation, is just much greater than probably even in the Cold War. When he sat down on the Squawk Box set in September 2022 with anchors Andrew Ross Sorkin and Becky Quick, Andrew started with that very prediction. In some ways, you called this in terms of this potential threat. So where are we really at this point? Well, you know, we it was a pleasure to talk to you then and a pleasure to talk to both of you now. Um, you know, when we were talking about uh, the, real, the reality that uh, nuclear weapons are on the table three and two months ago, of course, that was derided. Um, the, 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 the general belief I had just comes from building a, a software business and seeing software in action in war, where software plus heroism can really slay the giant. And I think, I know the Russians just underestimated the power of kinetic plus software plus heroism. And then I believe it's a zero-sum game in, in Russia and there is no ability for Putin to lose. He can't just fail at, at war and then retire, which is what we're used to in democracy. You know, politicians fail and then they, we have another politician. Um, and, uh, and so the reason why I was sounding the alarm at Davos, and then again when we talked uh, to much derision, was simply this combination of uh, American software, the way we build software, plus a kind of heroism that is very unusual, uh, would outperform uh, the giant of spend. And that leads to just this jarring reaction. Um, and we don't want to believe in the West that people would be zero-sum. Uh, we're not that zero-sum in the West. So basically he's been backed into a corner. He's a caged animal. He will it's, do crazy it's, things it's, that we You're can't. backed into a corner where the corner is if you fail, you will be, you'll be killed, your friends will be killed, the, your family will lose their and assets. So how do you then handicap what his options are well, and what the real possibility of him using Ukraine? What, what I believe we should do is continue to support Ukraine and begin to engage in a dialogue where we figure out what it looks like for him to fail without having to say at home he failed. Now, so what does that look like to you? Uh, well, Ukrainians have to decide. I believe that I believe I know, having gone there, that they very much believe that their territory should be respected. I think we in the West should re should stick by the line that every country should be able to have its own sovereignty over its territory. I don't know, but I do know what it's very it's the the thing. The things that we discussed and predicted that Ukraine would massively outperform have happened. The, 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 the danger scenario of massive outperformance is that your adversary is backed into a corner, whether that's... But if he's failing and, and we need to find a way for him to look like he hasn't failed, 
to his own people. What is, what is that? Well, we're very good at that in the U.S. We're always we're failing at a lot of stuff, and we convince ourselves we're not. Somebody somebody has got to be somebody who's very good at this. Like, what does a politician do for a living? I mean, I, I happen to be more on the left. Some people are more on the right. The job of a politician is to convince you you haven't failed and then get your vote. You sound like Henry Kissinger, though. So, Basically, we're going to have to give something away, but it's uh, well, not the Henry, I don't, You know, Henry, I, I discussed this with him. He believes that it not, my belief is the Ukrainians decide, but you okay. need someone who's not me. Like, I'm not adept. My job is to actually deliver something that works and win. There are people whose whole professions are to help you explain to your people why it wasn't a failure. I don't do that for a living. But I do know that somebody who does that for a living needs to be very engaged right now because the, when you, when, if, you've, look, if you've won something against all odds, whether it's a, you know, less importantly a tech company or you've defended your, no one, I don't actually believe most people in the West, in America and England, really believed Ukraine could win. And in fact, I know they didn't believe this because I, you know, through our clients hear what the assessments were. But if that, you've won against all odds, you've cost your family, family members have died, there's no way you're going to compromise exactly. unless it's on your terms. That's why I think it's gotten so much more complicated. Yeah, exactly. And then you have to roll in people who are specialized at that. And people who are specialized at that are called politicians. That's what they do for a living. And they need to sit down and figure out how do you, how do you explain to the Russian people that although you failed, it's not a failure. And there is a way to do that. But first you have to begin. And the beginning part is, look, if you've won something in a negotiation against all odds, both parties have to accept you've won. Well, first of all, let's just talk about that, which is some people would argue uh, Ukraine has not won yet and that we're going to have well, a very okay. difficult winter, yeah. right? That things may sort of calm down or at least temporarily slow down because well, of the weather. No, and, uh, then, uh, yeah. and then, and then, and then we have to see what happens. In I'm the not, spring. I'm not, winning isn't won until you've won, obviously, but you have a perception based on expectations. If, if, if I go out onto a, a football court and am like a, a halfway surviving linebacker, I've won. And like this, nobody, we just, when we talked at Davos and we, you asked me what I thought would happen, it looked like, oh, there goes batshit crazy carp again with some crazy prognostication that will never happen. Ukraine could win and it could be dangerous because they're gonna win. That looked batshit crazy. In fact, that is the reality we're in. And we have to, you have to begin with the facts. The facts are they have massively outperformed. By the way, this is gonna change the way war is fought. Because here you have a tiny country with very little assets and they, right. in the use of software and heroism, you can push off and win against a, a Goliath. You keep use of software. Well, explain that. Well, the, the basis. This is the Palantir part right. of the story. Yeah, the yeah, part that we're not allowed to talk about is um, you, you just, in classic warfare, it just comes down to last post-World War II. America spends 800 billion, Russia spends, I don't know, 65 billion, but Russia thinks half of it is at waste and they're willing to do things on the human rights front we right. would never do. So they think it's parity, right? Um, however, when you, when you use information technology, who's moving, what's moving, under what conditions, can you identify people from space, how can you identify, can you unmask people who are trying to mask themselves, what is the action of the battlefield, where do you put your assets, where are their most faced assets, this all, this plays in by the way into the American strategy of war fighting which is quick, quick, quick attack, but you have to know where to attack, how do you, how do you deceive your adversary, you know America has been fighting wars, most of which I've been against for 20, 30 years, we've learned a lot about how to fight wars, the, the thing is that, and so we have this great knowledge of what it means, and part of that is something that is, both, is interestingly very cheap to produce, 
but it really is best produced in the West. Why is software best produced in the West? Would you want to run a software company in Russia or China and get it? Well, you lose it. So, you, you just mentioned China. Is there a lesson that you think the Chinese are learning about war and about to the extent that they're thinking about the future of Taiwan and how that may relate to what's happening in Ukraine? Every country in the world, including China, and they're like, we should never underestimate our adversaries. These are some of the most interesting, formidable, and creative, intelligent, wise cultures in the world. And they are very much, again, looking at what their expectation was and what was reality. The expectation was probably this last month, maximal, and reality. And then they're, I'm sure, looking at, we're spending gazillions, they're spending a lot less. What is special about what they're doing that's allowing them to massively outperform? And again, in a much less relevant context, why is tech dominated by America? It's like, well, there are all these reasons you have to understand. And with 100% certainty, every country in the world that is big is saying, holy shit, we thought we could just win because we're big. If the people are willing to fight to die and if they have very specialized, not very costly software and other products and kinetic weapons, tanks, but, but not really the big ones, they can outperform us and grind us into the dust. And that changes the way the world actually works today. Here's a software question. How do you think about the Chinese in terms of their um, talents, abilities? Well, this is again, we tend to think we are at a massive disadvantage in the West because we won't violate human rights. But actually, we're at, we have a massive advantage. And just explain that. You, the the well, argument most, is because, because we won't violate human rights and because of civil liberties, we don't have access to the same kind of data stream. Well, we don't. We, for example, we would not support something that tracks everyone walking by here and tells us what they're doing during their lunch hour when they say they're at work. Right. We just don't. I don't support that. I don't think anyone here supports it. You have debate, but it's pretty actually on international standards in a very narrow spectrum. Some people are in favor of knowing that if someone's a terrorist, you get in debates who's a terrorist, who's not. But no one supports broad, broad surveillance of the Chinese nationalist kind that is supported, by the way, by wide swaths of the world. Most people look at it as a disadvantage. I'll tell you that's an advantage. Why? Because we focused all our efforts for the one area that actually matters, fighting wars. And by the way, if you're going to build software for that, you need the best of the best of the best of the best. Those people don't want to build companies in countries where you could lose your company. They don't want to build, by and large, it's certainly at my company, we don't want to build technologies that stop us from having a normal social life, including a normal social life means things we're not actually wanting to discuss in public. Alex, if, if, if all of this gives us such an advantage, why have we seen such a hit to so many software companies? I think you guys are down 58% this year in your stock price. Well, you know, well, look, bad times are, are incredibly good for Palantir because you, you, you sort out, you get the Duro. There's, there's this thing where you, we, when you've been involved in things for a lot, long years, like Palantir's 20 years old, 18 years old. The bad times really uncover the durable companies. And tech is going through bad times. And there are lots of reasons, interest rates, other reasons. But you will see that the durable companies that come out of this in three, four years, two years, however long it takes, are largely going to be from America, largely from the West Coast, and they're going to be very focused on producing things that actually matter. Will, will this, will this like, deadly tidal wave wipe out some companies? Yes, it will. And what, what are you seeing when we were talking about employment and labor in terms of your employment and being able to hire talent? What are you seeing right now? Look, bad times. How easy or hard it is? Plus, by the way, I imagine there are a lot of employees sitting, looking at the stock price, saying, I'm underwater or I'm, you know, I have half of what I thought I had. Well, look, we built Palantir. Uh, we, were, we were private for almost 16 years. 
and our share price on the non-private market was going down. So like these times, in the end, bad times help us also because the alternatives end up being like, our main competition is uh, I want to be a cockroachholder.com who recruits our people. That's our actual competition, a startup that is two days away from failing, but engineers don't know it. Those companies aren't getting funding. And so like, instead of going to mycockroachtrap.com, people are like, yeah, the stock is down, that we're doing crazy important things, and the alternatives suck. Do you see, in terms of clients though, right now, spending, I mean, on the corporate side and even on the government side, given what's happening in the economy? We, we, we see a big difference between U.S. and, to be frank, uh, probably too frank, the, the, the U.S. is just completely different than everywhere else. Our U.S. business has grown 67% a year the last three years, from 233 million to just over a billion. The rest of the world, yeah, people react. Americans, for all of our foibles, we react to bad times by rolling up our sleeves and adapting. The rest of the world has trouble with adapting at the pace we adapt. So yes, our business is being, is being negatively afflicted by the inability to, in other countries to adapt the way they adapt, we adapt in America. On the other hand, you know, we're, we're an 18-year-old business. The last three years, our largest, our, our, the American segment is growing 67%, despite me as a front man. So it's like, you know, maybe if we, they, you know, we, we have a more successful front, man, we can even, I don't know, I'm not planning to go anywhere, but it's like, we're, we're, despite or because of our various disabilities, we're growing 67% a year in the most important, most interesting market in the world. And yes, we, we are not growing that way in Germany and France and other places. And I don't expect to grow that way. I do think there'll be a handoff. What I think is going to happen is we're going to have a couple years of terrible times. Uh, those companies that are the most robust will survive and thrive. You'll get credit for it in a couple years, and the rest of the world will do what it often does. It'll follow what we did well while deriding us for how crazy it is in America. Do you see a recession coming around the globe? Do you see a recession coming here? I, I don't know. It's, it's very hard at all. A lot of that's definitional, but what I do see is that people are scared shitless about energy outside of America. They're, 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 more, they're so scared about the macro uh, political conditions that no one wants to talk about them. Their enterprises are built for a static, unified world of peace. Uh, and the balance sheets, obviously, are not often prepared for what's going to happen, which I think is going to be pretty bad the next couple years, politically, economically. And then, also, you know, that's actually the real problem you have in tech. If you've, been, if you've been raised in an orgiastic environment where you go from high grades in high school to high grades in college to being a billionaire, you've never seen bad times. The, bad, the worst time you've seen is you can't get a date in high school. That's your bad times. Alex Carp, never want to hold back. Uh, so glad we're on cable rather than broadcast this morning. We appreciate you being here. I appreciate it's being always, here. Uh, always, always being candid with us. Thanks, and um, it's something. So we look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Hey, you, don't, you don't need you. You can hang out. Oh, you don't need to get off. We're going to break. I, I just Wait. I'm used Stay to getting it. thrown out as yeah. soon as the it's it's all good. as soon as as soon as the oh time to go. <laughs> and that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks so much for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. In the spirit of the season, why not gift a friend with what we do on this podcast? Spread the Squawk Pod word. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 